the debrief. Yes, this will be the most entertaining hour of your week. Hopefully, we won't go for a full hour. I think that might be... Oh, let's go for six hours. We could do it. I could do it. Well, it's National Pizza Day. We're going to need to call some delivery. How do you even know that? Social media. And And your course in is... The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Your course in is... It's not gluttony. Gluttony is secondary. I got a few other bigger ones Hmm? higher up on the list. Okay. Well, you do talk about food a lot. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Debrief Podcast. I am your host, Justin Pardee, and uh, we're going to get to some Q&A with Pastor Matt in a second, but I am hanging out today with our young adult ministry leadership crew here at Sandals Church. We got Stephanie Keen on deck. Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Um, feel free to answer back to her in your car, and uh, we'll just trust <laughs> that the Holy Spirit gets that information right back into her ears. Griffin Harrell. Hey, what's up, everybody? Griffin uh, leads our pipeline team up at Sandals Church Woodcrest, and we got Fredo Ramos, backup backup uh, pitcher for the uh, Dodgers. <laughs> Who's like the Dodgers feeder team? Do they have one of those, like the version of the 66ers? They help the it, Angels? I think it is the 60s. No, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what they're called. Well, you're, you're a full-time high school teacher, mm-hmm. and then you also are bringing leadership uh, to our young adult crew. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys actually have a gathering coming up this weekend for our young adults Saturday night at main campus That's at right. 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Fredo, you're teaching? I am. Awesome. Uh, it's Valentine's weekend, so hopefully you just keep speaking in that voice <laughs> uh, because it's, it's, it's awesome. Well, sure, hey, guys, um, really quick. Basic reactions to Super Bowl commercials. Was it puppy, puppy, doggy, puppy, doggy, baby? Kitty, monkey? Pu- uh, kitty, puppy, monkey, baby. I still don't understand. I'm not sure what that is, but I love <laughs> the Doritos surprised. one. Uh, okay, oh, awesome. One was good. Which one did you the like, baby. Doritos? Yeah. <laughs> the baby jumping out. That was, that was very special. Oof. Yeah. Excellent, excellent, good stuff, man! What a seriously good weekend uh, it was. Well, hey, so Pastor Matt was really talking to us this last weekend about um, all of these really challenging teachings from Jesus in Luke chapter six, and it definitely was kind of like going through the gauntlet because Jesus just throws down on um, what it looks like to follow Him and to be a real Christian. And um, I kind of want to just connect with you guys a little bit as we kind of try and work out some of the truths that Pastor Matt gave us. Ultimately, what he really did was challenge us that we're supposed to be coming like Jesus. And, and that means a lot of different changes that we make in our life based on the way we relate to other people, those kinds of things. Let me just ask you this like really tough question. Let me just throw that out there as we respond. Where do you guys and any one of you jump in here, find yourself getting more caught up with like maybe being or doing something in particular rather than just becoming more like Jesus, right? Because it's so easy to try and look a certain way or do the right things versus actually following the teachings of Christ. Griffin, where do you find yourself getting caught up there? And the first thing I think of is uh, like when I used to be in school and I would just try to get stuff done, turn it in, uh, just try to get the good grade. And uh, seeing and feeling that transfer over kind of uh, to my work life, you know, working here as a minister and, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard. You just want to make your boss happy or you just want to, um, you know, make parents happy or something like that. So um, I definitely feel like that tension of, of wanting, to, wanting to do stuff, but, um, you know, sometimes not having the right motivation, not, not having Jesus in mind or not having myself kind of oriented towards uh, towards what Jesus wants for me, so. Um, If I'm honest, like all the time, like I 
when I read that question the first time, I'm just thinking like, what am I like being or doing instead of just becoming like Jesus? And I think I just operate in a like, how can I like be a good friend or be a good roommate or Mm -hmm. be a good employee right now? What am I like, what am I doing right now? How can I get things done? Um, So I read, I read that question and like, you know, where am I doing things instead of just wanting to become like Jesus? And I'm like, well, shoot all the freaking time. (laughs) Um, I, I think cause I'm very task driven. I like to get stuff done and I work for the church. And so I think that's a unique thing too. And that like a lot of things that I'm doing, like I want to draw people in to Jesus. Like I want, that's, you know, the end goal. But a lot of my day is focused on like, okay, how can I like be good at this? How can I do this well? Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to the end of a lot of days, not really thinking like, oh, did I become more like Jesus today? How was I doing that? I think, was I nice to that person? Did I offer grace? Did I act like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's different than, focusing my days and my time on becoming like Jesus. Right. Freda, where do you, where do you find yourself getting caught up or distracted or whatever? Yeah, I think I'm most distracted in those moments where I'm kind of doing all the right things, but for the very reasons that uh, Pastor Matt was talking about are kind of in that second explanation that Jesus gives to us in Luke six about, you know, having a lot of friends or, um, you know, being satisfied and full, having worldly success and comforts. And so I think as a Christian, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm doing right things, but ultimately those things at the end, you know, satisfaction, people liking me are the reason for why I'm doing them. Right. Um, and so that's where it was most convicting for me, hearing that and having to deal with that reality, how, you know, as a Christian, I should be in that other kingdom where, I'm, I'm looking to be poor in spirit. I'm looking to sacrifice. I'm looking to give. I'm looking to care for those who are more disenfranchised around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that requires, you know, the Holy Spirit. That requires me surrendering to him on a daily basis because those don't come natural to me. And so if any moment where I feel like there's a lack of growth or I'm just being distracted, it's because my heart is really after those other things that Jesus talks about that are really what the kingdom of the world loves to elevate. And so I, I just have to reorient, you know, what, what kingdom am I aiming to be in? Um, yeah, man, I think that's probably really difficult too. And, and all three of you guys fall solidly into that young adult demographic. Like you guys are definitely millennials. Uh, so, oh, I mean, that means you guys are always eating Taco Bell, driving around in your Jeeps. That word is like a dirty word to us. <laughs> yes, just yes, so you exactly. Know. Yeah, we're right. young adults. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Excuse me. Okay, so you guys are solidly there. But right, it seems like that's the time of your life where you're ultimately trying to establish yourself, figure figure things out, take next steps, everything from like the classes that you're going to be taking in college or trying to get that job or maybe like a promotion of some kind in work, man. It feels like in this stage of life for where you guys are at and where, you know, all the young adults that we have at our church, like, everything that you've got to be doing and, and trying to pursue um, is kind of in conflict with the things Jesus is calling us to. How do you guys see like balancing those things out or fighting against that, that push, you know? So one of the great struggles that I see with young guys is having uh, this sort of uh, jacked up self image and thinking that who they are is based on what they do. Um, and, and so just to kind of push against that, um, I have to make sure that my identity is secure in Jesus. You know, I got to remember that um, whenever I'm going about and doing stuff, it's not because of um, what other people think about me. Like, you know, what Justin Party thinks of me doesn't define who I am. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, so that, how, how do you do that, Griffin? How do you make sure that your identity is in Christ? So, my probably my favorite thing I've ever heard Fredo say, and it was maybe the first time that uh, I heard him teach, was he he was talking about. Uh, refreshing the gospel in your life every day. And so uh, remembering Jesus and what he did for you. 
and you know having to push and 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 do things that uh, will kind of reorient you uh, at the start of each day and and throughout each day. Um, so practically, that looks like um, building good habits, habituating yourself towards like, hey, I want to. I wanna actually read the Bible. I wanna care about what God is telling me in his word. Mm-hmm. I wanna pray for the people who I care about. And uh, you know, and I, I wanna have real conversations with my friends and with my wife. You know? mm-hmm. so. Let me ask you guys this question, kind of in light of these two, like I love how you phrase like the two kingdoms um, and the, the, the draw to be or feel successful, even for really good reasons versus this desire um, mm-hmm. to become more like Christ, ultimately for the good of others in the conflict between there, how do you guys evaluate success in your own lives? Because one of the things Pastor Matt was calling us to do was really change the way we see ourselves in light of these teachings of Christ. How do you actually evaluate yourself? Oh, man. Um, I think when I, when I think about that, I honestly evaluate, I guess, I guess it's success. When I'm thinking about whether, when I'm trying to refocus my wants for God's kingdom instead of my kingdom, I even think of like, pressing into those times where I could actually believe when Jesus says like, blessed are those who hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am left without what I think I want and I'm able to say like, I really want that, but I really want Jesus more. And I think when I actually make that decision and choose to say no to myself, like that tends to end up being more successful, even though sometimes it's painful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's quite it, but that, when I think about it, I'm like, oh, being successful and really choosing God's kingdom means choosing sometimes the hard stuff that is ultimately going to push me more to Jesus. And sometimes it means saying no to the things that would feel really good right now. Got it. Do you guys have thoughts on how you evaluate success? Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, I could just be real with myself and ask like, am I excited about the things that Jesus is excited about? You know, Mm -hmm. like what Stephanie said, am I glad to be hungry or more hungry for him than for other things? Um, Am I exemplifying, you know, repentance, being poor in spirit? Like, is that a daily thing that I see, you know, in my past week or month or whatever it might be? So, um, and I feel like that happens, that happens like through different tests. Like I can sit here and say, yeah, I feel like I repented, but I'm not really gonna know unless I've been able to evaluate moments when that's been tested. You know, like if someone's called me out on a sin or if I've been really convicted, what was the outcome? You know, Mm -hmm. did I confess and repent? Um, and find forgiveness in him, or did I kind of just ignore it and put it to the side? So, because I feel like it's similar for an athlete. Like they don't, they don't know they're getting faster unless they are kind of tested. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I can evaluate growth or success based on um, how I'm acting in those particular moments, you know, what the outcomes might've looked like. Dude, so, I love what you just said there. Griffin got my oldest son, Titus, he's in first grade into jujitsu and he's been at it for like almost like six or nine months. And we take him there every single week. And it's really hard to tell, like if he's actually getting better at jujitsu, mm-hmm. um, because he's <laughs> aging or he's wrestling with kids that are his same sure. age every single week. And they're all learning the same things. But then a couple months ago he was out and he was able to like take out <laughs> his cousin who's many years older, more than twice his size and wow. just really be able to evaluate himself in a different context and see, man, I'm actually kind of improving in this area. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so right. I almost wonder if like, I'm just thinking about how many college students and young adults that we have at our own church. I love maybe this challenge of what's something you could do that really pushes your comfort level or your, um, just really challenges you kind of mentally, emotionally, spiritually that could allow you to have the opportunity to to really test yourself. Yeah, well, I even think it's like what the Bible says in James, like welcoming trials and testing because the testing of your faith is what's going to produce endurance. So in, like 
when we, trials are going to come, like Pastor Matt talks about that, um, that like we're going to face storms, hard things are going to come. And I think those tests come when we allow those trials to come. We don't run away. We don't avoid. We don't mm-hmm. turn to things that comfort us, but instead like look those trials in the face and allow that testing to produce endurance and actually let us see where our faith really stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would say um, give an honest look at yourself. Look, look at who you are and look at the things that you do and ask yourself the questions of where am I obedient to Jesus and where am I not? And then pursuing uh, becoming more like Jesus in relationship with other people. One of the biggest mm-hmm. things that, uh, that has changed me um, since I started coming to Sandals and since I became a Christian is trying to walk out and live out. Um, well, what I should say is, is actually meeting and talking with people who uh, know me well confessing to them, you know, letting mm-hmm. them know where I screw up and where I mess up and uh, actually making a plan to uh, be, be more obedient to Jesus and to pursue him more, so. Yeah, or even asking people to ask you the hard questions. Yeah. Like, can you, like, where am I like totally blind to something? Or like, how did I handle that situation? Those are like the hardest conversations in the world. Like, I never want to ask somebody like, did I handle that okay? Like, what would you, like, should I have done that differently? Because <laughs> I never want to hear them say like, oh yeah, you totally biffed that. Because <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that hurts and it's hard, but that's how you're going to grow. You know, it's letting people be real with you. Mm-hmm. And I always aim at trying to, wh- whatever the things are that I really want to keep inside, those are the things that I need to confess the most. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always mm-hmm. look at what do I not want to say and who do I not want to say it to? And, um, you know, my, my boss is my pastor, also, and that puts me in like the strangest <laughs> situation sometimes. Right. But it means that sometimes I have to confess things that uh, you know I'm really ashamed of to to my boss and my leader. But that's just what Jesus wants for my life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely think that you 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 can't find an individual in the Bible who's grown apart from you know community. Right. And so for you to ask yourself, am I sacrificing more? Am I repenting more? Am, in my boasting and my weakness, you know, so that I can inherit the earth at the end. Um, you have to have people in your life who can kind of help you answer those things too. Cause to a degree we can be honest with ourselves, but to another degree, we can also lie to ourselves. We're, we're always at the end of the day, our best defense attorney. Mm-hmm. And so we, we need those other people in there. Well, thanks guys. I'm super glad to have you guys hanging out with us here on the debrief. Really appreciate that. And for real, if you guys are college students, young adults, that's like 18 to 30 ish. Is that how you guys do that? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Uh, This Saturday night, we'd love to have you hanging out with us at the main campus. How do they find you guys? Uh, We are going to be in the lobby of the main campus. So come to service Saturday night, stick around afterward. You won't be able to miss us. It's going to be really fun. Awesome. We'll get you some free coffee too. Oh, there you go, dude. You'll get to see Fredo in person. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You might get to see all of us in person. <laughs> Amazing. All right, guys, let's uh, jump into some Q&A with Pastor Matt. Well, hey, guys, we are hanging out here with Pastor Matt, and we're going to process through some Luke chapter 6 stuff. Yeah. You ready to just jump into this? Or? Yeah, the most, I think, if you're honest, if you're real with yourself, the most difficult chapter we've faced yet in Luke, and maybe the most difficult chapter in the entire gospel of Luke. Uh, super quick, you told us uh, this weekend that you were in boot camp, did the army thing. That probably surprised quite a few people. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was in, I was in the army. Um, I was a cop, the worst military policeman in the history of the United States Armed Forces. <laughs> um, uh, don't like guns. Don't like writing tickets. Don't like busting people for stupid stuff. So, you know, I hated it. That's awesome. I love the idea of uh, 
How old were you? 19 to 21. Dude, that sounds just awesome. I had my 21st birthday in the military. Worst ever. I think I got to do 210 push-ups to celebrate. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's jump right in. Um, with uh, last weekend, we were talking about, or last episode, we talked about Luke 4, some questions about resisting temptation. And uh, after we stopped recording, you had uh, mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit more about Galatians 5 because there's some great stuff in there. Do you want to jump right in there and talk to us about yeah, what it looks Galatians like? Galatians 5, which, you know, is an odd thing to talk about as we're studying the gospel of Luke, but... Uh, Galatians 5 is probably one of my favorite chapters um, in the entire Bible. I, I just love it. I think it it paints a beautiful picture of what sin is and what goodness is. And so a lot of times we talk about what not to do, but we don't talk about what we should be doing. And so Paul, right, a beautiful just author, writer, uh, communicator of, of what it means to be a Christian in life and practice, just writes in the chapter, to me, the most power-packed chapter on Christian behavior, what sin looks like, because a lot of our uh, people at Sandals, they didn't grow up in church. They don't, they don't know the Bible. And so they don't know what right and wrong is. You know, they might have a, a general sense, but they don't have a specific sense. And so uh, Paul outlines some things there that we would be automatically drawn to. And so he identifies things that we're going to be tempted um, to pursue and to partake in as people. And then he talks about how the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, pressing against those things. And so we have this battle inside of us every day, all day, until we die, uh, between what the Holy Spirit wants and what my own fleshly desires want. And I think the key there is, is for the Christian, you know, your physical desires don't go away. We have to learn to manage them, not mm-hmm. listen to them, and learn to, um, you know, follow the, the leading of the Holy Spirit and and, and do that. So um, I just think that Galatians 5 is a great chapter for people to work through who are struggling with temptation. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, just a, a lot of truth there. And I just think it's a great chapter. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I just love that chapter. Got it. So if you are listening and you want to just kind of dig deeper on that, then I guess the idea of resisting temptation, maybe just spend some time in Galatians chapter five, mm-hmm. reading that um, over and over, jotting down your own personal notes about what that looks like for you to uh, to do that, to resist that temptation. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into Luke chapter six, man. Um, this weekend, you were you referenced Luke six thirty seven. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you'll be forgiven. And uh, you actually mentioned you wish you had more time in the message to talk about this idea of what does it look like to have judgment but not be a judgmental person. Can yeah. you dig into that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's some moral confusion um, and a lack of biblical clarity on the issue of what Jesus is saying here. Because when you look at the verse just on its own, it seems like Jesus is saying never judge a person's you know behavior, mm-hmm. uh, never judge a, a person's character, never judge. Um, you know, a person's, you know, something they've shared, their thought life or whatever. And so th- the point of what Jesus is saying here is, you know, what we need to be concerned about is what's in our heart. Am I a judgmental person? Am I overly critical? Am I overly concerned with the rights and wrongs of everybody else's life? And I think for so long as Christians, we failed to listen to the teaching of Jesus. He's not called us to be moral police uh, of others. Specifically, what he wants you to do is to be a moral policeman of your own life. And what we need to look at is, you know, um, when I'm going to um, correct somebody, speak into somebody's life, I have to look at my heart. You know, so so much of what Jesus is talking about in this chapter is where is your heart? What's coming out? What 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 are the reasons for this? And so, I think um, 
you know, as a Christian, we, we need to have judgment. So what does that mean? If a person has judgment, a person needs to be able to know what's right and what's wrong. Really, the issue is wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have moral clarity? Do, do I know what's right and wrong? Am I grounded in what truth is? And so um, a lot of Christians, I hear them say, well, who am I to judge? Well, that's, that's a statement of judgment. What you're saying is your judgment is you are incapable of judgment. And so mm-hmm. maybe you're being overly critical of yourself. Um, and, and oftentimes, really what it is, is Christians just don't want to be persecuted for making a moral stand. And so we have to be careful about that. So let's go back. So we need to not be a critical, negative person. And I think we're all that person. I'm that person. Mm. Um, We were watching Super Bowl on Sunday, uh, Coldplay. I I was was dying, wanted to tweet just a thousand critical things. (laughs) But uh, like I posted, my sermon was convicting me. And so I didn't do that. Um, But I did post that I wanted to post critical things because I am still a You're moving in the right direction. Yeah. so, you know, the first thing is, is just to have judgment. And that's why, go to Galatians 5, because it's going to tell you what's right and wrong. And so, we, we need to allow God to judge. God has judged what's right and what's wrong. And so, you know, we don't need to make uh, non-Christians or non-believers uh, agree with that. And so, that's, that's where we get into trouble as Christians, as we enter into the political discourse of um, you know, our American democracy, right? We want everyone, and that's really where America's just whack, is everybody's trying to make everybody live according to their moral code. The left's doing it, mm-hmm. the right's doing it, everybody does it. And, um, you know, I think America would be a much better place if we respected the freedoms of each other, including, uh, you know, the the freedom to believe things morally and spiritually. And so, uh, the left gets that wrong as often as the right you know, wants to, well, I don't know the right wants to do that anymore, but they, they used to want to be everybody's moral cop. So have judgment, know what's right and wrong. If you're a friend, you need to be willing to speak truth into your friend's life. You're, you're not a friend if you don't tell someone, hey, this is dangerous, you know? Um, so I have what to, does that part look like? Switching from, I, I, I have a conviction through God's word and these types of, through even talking with other people of what's right and wrong. And let's use that example of it's a close friend or someone that I know that is, not living with wisdom in their own life. How do I approach them without being judgmental? Yeah. So, so ultimately, um, God is the judge. God is going to judge not only our behaviors, but the conditions of our heart. Jesus says that every secret will be revealed. And so we have to trust that, that truth will come out. You know, truth is a mockery in our our current judicial system. It doesn't happen, but eventually truth will come out. So we have to trust God with that. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is not sit in the position of judge, but we have to sit in the position of truth teller. And so I'm not your judge. You're not going to stand before me. You know, you, Justin, are not going to stand before me on judgment day. You're going to stand before Christ. He Mm -hmm. is the judge. I'm not the judge. And so it's just understanding my role. But what I need to do is speak truth into your life because one day you will stand before the judge. And so here's the question that I would ask. If I think you're in sin or you're doing something wrong, first question I'm gonna ask is, um, you know, do I have a position in your life to speak truth into your life? If I don't, then why bother? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of Christians that just live in a constant state of anxiety because they feel like they have to tell everyone everything. And so it does me no good to speak truth into your life if you've not given me permission to share truth in your life. And so that's why Jesus says, don't cast pearls before swine. Don't be, we don't have to tell everybody everything. And so, do I have a relationship with you? Do you care what I think? Have you invited me to, to, to give my perspective? And so, uh, if, you've, if you've done those things, if you've invited me uh, into your life, then I'm going to tell you, hey, Justin. Uh, and what I would encourage people to do is, the Bible says, to go back to what the Word of God says, not I think, I feel, whatever. Is there 
some specific truth that I feel is being violated here. Um, and so then I, I would just lean heavily on God's word, which means if you're not a believer, right? Why, why am I quoting mm-hmm. some 2000 year old book to you? And so Christians get that wrong a, a lot of the time. So the Bible is our instruction for life. It's our authority. It's not the world's authority. You know, they reject it. When, when you look at the Old Testament, I, I love God's anger because it's never at the nations for their sin. Mm. God is always angry at his people for their sin. So he's not frustrated with the peoples that he has not called by his name. He's not frustrated by the nations that don't know him. He's frustrated with his people who don't live according to their law. And that's why, you know, I've never been, you know, a soapbox preacher standing up screaming, you know, at people that, you know, you're a sinner because I don't think it's effective. We're not operating from the same platform. So the first question is, you know, do I have a position in their life? So if they're a believer, I would use scripture. If they're not a believer, I would use wisdom. You don't need to quote scripture. The Bible, the Bible is truth. God is wise. And so I would, I would, you know, come at it from wisdom. Hey, this, I don't think this is really wise for you. But again, what is the condition of my heart? There have been times in my life where I cared more about zapping the person than helping the person. Mm. And so if if I'm just here to just bust you, haha, you know, you blew it, then right, the condition of my heart's been revealed. And I need to go back and and deal with the condition of my heart before I come to you because that's just so that's just so important. Self-righteousness is a disease. It's an absolute disease. And so Jesus is trying to cure his disciples of that disease. Don't be like these guys. Don't be like the Pharisees, right? They're blind guides. So he talks about that in this chapter. How can a blind person lead another blind person? And so we can't do that if we can't see correctly. So I always have to be aware of where my vision is. I got I got to take the plank out of my eye so that, right? So here's where Christians fail. Well, I got to deal with the plank in my eye. Yeah, so that you can help your friend with the speck in theirs because I've had a speck in my eye. It hurts. Mm-hmm. It's awful. And I've had to ask my wife to to help me get something out. And so I need her to see clearly. And so to say, well, I'm never going to help people with specks in their eyes isn't love. And that's not the role of the believer. So I hope that helps. It's a very, very thing. And so I think if your personality, if you tend to be more like a jerk, this is going to be very, very hard for you. And you need to be real with yourself. You know, what is my personality? Am I abrasive? And then there's people that are more like me and I tend to be a coward and not speak Mm. into this. And so uh, I need to be aware. And so for somebody like me, I need to be bold. Uh, For people who are a little rough relationally, they need to be soft and gentle. And so you've got to incorporate who you are with how you communicate God's truth. So there's no one hard and fast rule for everybody. Right. What do you think the best way to figure that out is? Like if, if you're the rough person, I mean, I guess partially just by evaluating how do your past conversations go or talking to the close people in your life? Yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're a rough person, if you're an abrasive personality, I would really just encourage you not to confront people because that's just not going to go well. And so, um, you know, the Bible says, speak the truth in love in Ephesians. And if you can't do that, then don't do that. So, got it. Okay, so you started to mention um, further on, just a couple of verses later in Luke chapter six, verses forty-one through forty-two is the, um, the this passage about specks and the logs in your own eye. You obviously didn't even get to preach on any of that. Right. Um, what's the overall picture that's going on there? Is this idea of because this I think is a truth that is pretty important to us at Sandals in terms of being real with ourselves and others. How do we figure that? How do we figure out how to do both of those things? Um, in light of this teaching from Jesus. You mean, how do I help people with the speck? Is that what you're asking? Or maybe how do I deal with the speck in my own eye first? Because I think a lot of us maybe would say, well, 
this is an additional excuse to not judge people right, right, right. or to move forward. Well, and that's what I'd say. If you're more of a coward, you know, you're always going to find evidence in your life that would lead you to believe that you could never help anybody. Um, and so we need to look at ourselves as spiritual doctors. You know, does does a surgeon need to be uh, clinically perfect to operate? Well, if there's a, no, if there's a tumor, like they need to do the best job to save somebody's life. And so we need to remember that, you know, if we, if you truly love somebody, and so that's what people need to be really honest. A lot of times the truth is we, we just love ourselves. Mm. And so we're afraid of losing that person. And so you just need to ask yourself, do I care more about that person or do I care about myself? And if I care about myself, oftentimes I'm afraid. I'm afraid to speak truth uh, into my life. So, or into somebody else's life. So, sorry about that. That's me. That's how it goes. Um, I love the kind of distinctions that you're making a little bit between even approaching believers and non-believers differently. What, what do you think the overall goal should be when I'm approaching someone who is maybe not making wise choices or actively sinning according to God's standards, but right. they're not a follower of Christ? Right. Um, like, let's say it's a, a brother or a sister, a family member, maybe a son or a daughter. Yeah. How, how do I set my goal for approaching them relationally? Yeah, I would make it um, in my language absolutely. You know, not at all about Jesus. I mean, if if let's say you're a parent and they were a Christian at one time, certainly you can I- invoke the name of Jesus. But man, a lot of times I, I I hear people all the time invoking the name of Jesus and invoking you know uh, religious language, uh, cultural Christianity to pagan people, and I'm like, what are you doing? We we sound weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, use biblical language with people who have biblical understanding use contemporary language with people who are in a contemporary culture. And so, um, you know, I, I just, I think the Bible's very, very clear that we need to be careful, cautious, and wise in how we speak to those who are not believers, you know? And it's not that we're being false, it's that we're trying to speak in such a way um, that we can reach them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, if you were Muslim and you were concerned about me and you start quoting the Quran, what is that going to do for me? I mean, it's not going to work for me. I, right. I'm not an expert in the Quran. I don't have, I didn't, wasn't raised a Muslim. I, I don't know what those things mean. Um, but if you're just a fellow American, you're like, hey man, I'm concerned about your marriage. I'm concerned about how you're parenting your kids or I'm concerned about your finances. I love you, bro. What's going on here? I think that communicates love and genuine concern. Uh, and then at a later date, you know, you can have an opportunity if invited to share Christ. And, and, and obviously, you know, the first goal is to love everybody. The second goal is to in love to be. If you have an opportunity to share Christ, share Christ. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think I think love opens doors to share the truth. I think condemning language. Well, the Bible says, and you know, we've just been very very foolish. And and let me just say this: so much of the re- religious judgmentalism that comes from Christianity, it's just it's just really negative, critical people that probably don't know Christ, hmm. um, who are wearing a Christian T-shirt. And they're, and they're not converted. They're, they're not changed. Jesus says, Jesus says, right? You shall know them by their fruit. He says, you know, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. And then he asks, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I'm saying? What he's saying is you're not really a follower. I, I'm not really your Lord. You haven't made that decision. And so, you know, being a Christian isn't about, you know, doing all these right things. It's about, I love Jesus. And so therefore I want to please him and I want to do these things and I want my heart to become like his. And I have these desires because I have this relationship with him. And so my behavior changes 
uh, not to impress him, but because I love him. Mm-hmm. And it's two different motives. And so, like, again, a lot of people that run around calling themselves Christians aren't. And so, you know, loving, loving, a loving person doesn't necessarily mean they're a Christian. That's, you can't say, oh, well, that person's loving, so they're a Christian. But you can say this, if they're not loving, they're not a loving person, they're not a Christian. Hmm. So it's not evidence for your faith, but it certainly is evidence against your faith. And, um, and I think that's huge. You know, kindness is a real thing. It's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm-hmm. goodness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the spirit and against them, there's no law. So that's Galatians 5. Back yeah, exactly. That. You keep that. Yeah. bringing it back. Okay, so let's talk about this. Um, and I, I love how this is connected as we're talking about loving and showing love to people. Uh, one of your points this weekend was that to become more like Jesus, we need to change the way we respond to hurtful people. Yeah. Um, and you actually read um, and challenged us with Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 29. But to you, Jesus says, who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. How do we show love to someone who doesn't deserve it? Yeah. Well, well the truth is you just have to admit that you can't. I mean, you just can't, you just can't, you cannot, humanly speaking, stir these emotions. You can't find them. You can't dig deep. They're not in you. They're not in me. Uh, They're only in Christ. They're only in his heart. And so in those situations, right again, back to Galatians 5, so much of the flesh is anger, malice, rage. He's going to identify, and all of those things are... um, not always bad things. Like for example, if my family's attacked by a bear, I need some rage. <laughs> I need some real rage right. um, because I need to be the angriest version of myself possible <laughs> so that my family can be alive. Yeah, totally. But th- so God's given us these emotions for specific situations. The problem is I respond like I'm being attacked by a bear when my wife just says, you didn't take out your laundry, right? And I, you know, hmm. so so that's the problem. And so- um, you know, specifically like the example I used in the sermon of the really buff guy that just got out of prison telling me that um, he was going to beat me up. It was very, very frightening. And so um, I, I wasn't really tempted to puff up because he had killed me. I mean, literally he was curling my body weight. He had uh, 80 pounds in each arm curling. I mean, that's, I weigh 160 pounds. So Crazy. he would have snapped me like a twig. But, you know, how, how do I respond to him? You know, how do I respond to people when, you know, when my wife, you know, is critical of me or my kids aren't obedient or, you know, somebody on the freeway cuts me off or, or, or worse, you know, like on Twitter, someone's like, you're stupid, you're lame, you're mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, what I need to do is just say, okay, God, I, I've got to respond like you. So I take a step back and, and, and just pray and say, God, change my heart. Because what I want to do is just scream at this person. Um, I'm not a big cusser, but, you know, I use Christian approved profanity, you know, like, shut up, <laughs> stupid, you know, words like that. Jeez you know, all that stuff. Right. Um, so, you know, those, 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 I just have to take a step back and say, God, I need you in this moment because my flesh is right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the story I shared with my son, I, I literally just screamed, shut up. And it's like, who talks to your, your kid like that? Well, every parent that talked to me on Sunday at church was like, I do that too. Cause mm-hmm. we all have those moments where we just lose it. And it's, it's sad. Okay, so I'm responding to somebody that's hurtful. Step number one is really about admitting that I cannot show love on my own. Step two is kind of stepping back to get clarity. How do I move forward 
towards showing love to someone who has hurt me. So let's, I mean, I, I'm, there's people in our church who are victims of yeah. abuse of all different kinds, um, broken marriages and relationships where they're still connecting with one another because of kids. Um, I, you know, let's say I've got a, just a complete total jerk of a boss. There's all kinds of options or different examples where people are in this repeated relationship. How do you move forward out of that place? So I'm in yeah. this place where I'm admitting I need God's help right, right. and I'm trying to get the clarity. What do I do from there? Yeah. So loving your enemy doesn't mean you have to live with them. Hmm. So Jesus never commands that. So to love, what Jesus means by love is wishing well. And so like, let's say you're a victim of sexual abuse, you know, and, and clearly that person is an enemy in your life. They've violated you. You can still wish the person well and want them incarcerated. Absolutely. I mm -hmm. think that's, I think that's uh, uh, the right place for that person to be. Uh, it's the safe person place for that person to be. And so, but as a Christian, my, the desires of my heart is for their heart to change, that they wouldn't do this, that they would be repentant, not just for my own desires, but for their desires, because one day they're gonna stand before God and be held accountable for you know, the sins that they've committed. And God you know, is going to deal viciously, the Bible says, in wrath with people who have, you know, Jesus says it's better to tie a, a weight around your neck, your, neck, your, your neck <laughs> and throw it into the Sea of Galilee than it is for you to hurt a kid. That's Jesus, right? The loving, kind, sheep on the neck. Jesus right. says, "Man, it's better. It's better that you drown yourself <laughs> than hurt a kid." Um, and so, you know, it, it's just like if we go to war. You know, as a nation, you know, I think sometimes we have to go to war, and it's awful, and it's ugly, and it's evil. And um, just like with ISIS, let's use ISIS as an example. The desire of my heart is that those guys would change, right? That they would see the light. That they would see that they have bought into a version of religion that is ugly and awful and evil and that that they would see the light and come to faith in Christ. That's my prayer for them. But while I'm praying for that, I also have to, you know, be approving of stopping the violence because it's not okay for me to to wish them well while they rape Yazidi women and they um, you know, they hang children for mm -hmm, a violation absolutely. of uh, Sharia law. I mean, those things, right, are abhorrent and it's evil for me to do nothing. So so I would say you don't have to stay in a relationship. If you're in an abusive relationship, and by the way, I wouldn't decide this for myself, I would get pastoral counsel because I think the world is now is just constantly, especially in the, in the area of marriage, it's like, oh, well, it's abusive and they're out uh, because that's, mm. so what do you think abuse looks like? What does it mean? Get some counsel before you make that decision and, and bail in relationships. What does it mean if you have abusive parents? How, how do you interact with them? How do you respond to them? You know, with parents, how do you honor them if they've been awful or ugly? How do you honor the title and the position that they hold while maybe not approving of the person that they are? And I think that those are, those things can, can be done. And so, um, again, to love your enemy is to wish them well. Um, and so it's, it's to not let your heart become evil um, in response to what they've done. But that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be consequences. I think people need to go to jail. I think people need to pay uh, you know, for the crimes that they commit. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. So. Um, so, hey, for those of you guys that are listening, just want you to know, if you are attending any one of our campuses, you can reach out to us on the weekends if you're trying to connect to that pastoral care. Uh, you can also just send us an email. You can reach out to us wherever you're at. Just send an email to help at sandalschurch.com, help at sandalschurch.com. We'll get back to you right away and um, get you connected with our, our care team so that we can... Um, help you in that situation. Okay, Matt, let me close with one last question for you here. Um, 
again, this was a super challenging uh, set of teachings for us to look at. And overall, the big idea that you were talking to us about was becoming more like Jesus is the responsibility of a Christian. And you, you basically said to become more like Jesus, I must change the way I evaluate my life. Now, Jesus says all this stuff. He says, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, you who weep. You blessed, are, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So Jesus is obviously totally changing the way that we should be looking at ourselves and evaluating ourselves. How do you personally evaluate or even define what success looks like in your yeah. life? Absolutely. And I, like I said, you know, on the weekends, so much of our misery, there's depression and discouragement is coming from this version of success that's unattainable. Mm. I'm never gonna be pretty enough, handsome enough, smart enough, tall enough, good enough, successful enough. I'm never gonna make all this money. And we literally, as Americans, spend the majority of our lives depressed when we're more successful than, you know, almost, you know, the complete rest of the world. And so when you, when you look at uh, depression in the United States, and just discouragement. I mean, that's it's always been there, but it really, really just vaulted in American culture with the advent of the home television. Hmm. So, right when you're poor, you didn't you didn't know that people had rich because you hung out with all poor people, and so there wasn't this awareness of you know the, the positions of others. And right, all of a sudden, you have TV, right? Like? And so, and TV says this is how everybody lives, and this is what everybody's life should be like, and you should have this product. And all of a sudden. You know, and that's really what drove the capitalist engine, right? Is, oh, I got to have this. I got to buy this. I, you know, I got to get this. And you see you know, the United States going crazy over things like a hula hoop. <laughs> I mean, who knew you had to have that, right? You had to have that. And then you had to have a skateboard. And then you had to have, you know, a record player. And then you had to have, you know, a cassette tape. And then it was C- CDs, DVDs. Then it's an, iP- you know, an iPod, all of these things. And it just keeps changing. And so people are constantly like, I- I've got to have these things where I'm not happy. And not only that, but um, you know, now we, we see everybody's family, their, their best moments. You know, nobody posts that I know of, you know, their Instagram moments screaming at their kid to shut up. <laughs> but it's always the perfect pam- family moments where, you know, you had to yell at your kids 10 times to get everybody to smile, right? And that's right. what we post, like that was the whole day. And so everybody looks at what everybody else is doing and they feel terrible. So for me, success for me is constantly coming back to the question of, who has who Christ called me to be? What has he called me to do? And the bottom line is God cares more about my character than he does anything else in my life. Who am I on the inside? What kind of father am I? What kind of husband am I? And so, because the truth is, I was a terrible husband and a terrible father when I was concerned about being successful because that was the focus of my attention, you know, getting more influence, having more accolades and all of those things. And I wasn't loving my wife well and I wasn't loving my kids well and I wasn't reading my Bible and I wasn't praying because the desires of my heart were for physical success. And so Jesus, right, says, blessed are the poor. And why is he saying that? He's saying, Matt, you know, you asked me, he's saying, Matt, it's okay to not be wealthy because this is all yours in the end. That's what he's saying. He says, blessed are the poor for for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's telling me, Matt, you have the kingdom. The kingdom is yours. The inheritance is yours. I am sharing all of my wealth, all of my riches with you. So why are you worried about money now. Okay. Um, what's the next one? Uh, blessed are the hungry. You know, you think about your desires, your physical desires, the vacations you want to take, you know, the physical needs that you have, uh, the clothes that you wear, you know, blessed are the hungry for they shall be satisfied. You know, Jesus is saying, Matt, it's not about stuff. It's not about things. It's not about your physical desires, uh, your sexual desires, any of those things. In the end, you are going to be satisfied in me. Trust me. 
trust me. You know, success isn't in the new boat, the new car, the new wife, the new kid, the new whatever, all of these things that we think that we can't live without. Um, it is ultimately in me. And so, um, you know, the, the Old Testament says that the right hand of, or I think it's Psalms 16.8 or 16.9, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. And so it's just this idea, right, of forward thinking that one day God is going to satisfy the desires of my heart. Maybe not now, maybe not here, right? And again, that leads into depression and discouragement. I don't know why God's not answering this prayer right now. I don't, why, no, don't know why this isn't happening here. And it's like Jesus is saying, look, guys, wait, wait. And his whole life is this picture and pattern of waiting, right? So Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and because of that, he received forever the glory of God. Forever, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so it's this picture of that. And so if I can not be caught up in the here and now and all the things that I want, you know, the apostle Paul says, all that stuff is scubalin. We've talked about that mm -hmm. at church, you know, and I say it means crap. Mm -hmm. It's the Greek word scubalin. He says, I consider all things scubalin for the sake of Christ. And I think the English translates it loss or dung, but it means poo, mm -hmm. right? Human poo. That's what I consider everything compared to what I have in Christ. And so he's okay to get rid of rank, title, wealth. All of that stuff means nothing because he listens to the Sermon on the Mount, which is why. So Luke is a traveling companion of Paul. And so Luke is saying, we need to record this story in our gospel. He's aware of Matthew's gospel. We got to say this again because people need to know that this is still true for the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And that means Paul was probably preaching on these ideas, that these, these stories of Jesus. You need to not be so caught up in what am I going to eat? What am I going to do today? But you got to trust in God's plan, which ultimately is fulfilled. Not in your 20s, not in your 30s, not in your 40s, not in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, but it's ultimately fulfilled in eternity. Mm. This picture of satisfaction is in the end times. And so then the next one um, I think is about hatred, right? You know, blessed are you when people hate you and they say all things against you on account of my name. We are entering into a time when being a Christian is not popular, being a true Christian. You know, there's a lot of churches that are caving on moral issues and, and specifics of scripture, but for those who remain faithful to the scripture, it's gonna be very, very unpopular. And, you know, Jesus is saying, man, you're gonna be blessed because of that. You're gonna be blessed. And so so for me, success is becoming more like Christ in my life. So what is it? What, what kind of father would Jesus be? What kind of husband would Jesus be? And so uh, what kind of pastor would Jesus be? How would Jesus consider you know, got a raise, didn't get a raise. You know, my wife, we have financial struggles just like everybody else. We have ups and downs and, you know, ins and out. I have a kid in college, so I understand bills and struggles. But knowing and believing and trusting that in the end, it all works out. And that's the peace of God. That's shalom. Um, that's, that's what we all have to trust in. And if we forget that, if we get overly focused on the here and now, and all of our prayers that aren't being answered, our financial problems, we're going to be very miserable people. Um, so, You know what's interesting to me is that future kind of focus that you're talking about almost feels like um, we can have these moments of failure, but even find some success in them. I'm thinking of the story you shared this weekend when you kind of confessed to the way you were talking to Ethan, yelling at him, really, and then you shared with us how he was the one that came back to yeah. you to bring restoration to that moment and the challenge that that brought to you. And um, like in many ways, that's almost like a story of failure, mm -hmm. but at the same moment, you've got your son who is 
responding in a Christ-like way, mm-hmm. ultimately as the result of you and Tammy's parenting and your fatherhood, yeah. it feels like that future perspective can help us embrace some of these moments of, of a failure and seeing yeah. what it looks like to follow Christ in there. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want to, I think we're getting ready to wrap up, but I just, you know, Jesus closes Luke six with the story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And um, I just would encourage people to meditate on that because the storms are coming. And the question is, where, where is your house anchored? Where is your life anchored? And here's the reality is so many Christians I see is they want, they want a solid foundation uh, when the storm has already hit, but they weren't in the process of building it. And so that's what I see people. Um, you know, they're just, they're just not, they're just not prepared to deal, you know, with the storms. Like, you know, I was sharing with you, um, you know, that I found out that I have this cyst on my spine, which mm-hmm. is a scary thing. Um, um, you know, it's not, it's not fun to, hear from a doctor, you have a disease, a spinal disease, right? right. Those words are heavy and scary. Yeah. But for me, okay, right? People get these things. People deal with these things. Th- these things happen. This is a part of life. And so, you know, this is a little storm, nothing like cancer or leukemia or, you know, MS or anything else. Like it's, a, it's, it's a little storm. It's a small flood, but my house is stable and my trust is in Christ. And I just want to let people know you don't build a house overnight. You just don't do it. And mm. so it's so important that you are faithfully listening to Jesus and trusting Jesus so that when the storm comes, your house is already built. It's already ready. And and what people find out is they built on the sand. They built on other things. And the storm comes and their faith is wrecked and they walk away from Jesus. They get angry at God because something doesn't go their way. Uh, maybe you know, they lose a job. Maybe they experience something tragic, like they lose a kid. You know, these things don't happen as often as, you know, they did for most of human history. But, but when those things happen, man, people just, you know, they turn on God and they turn on his faithfulness and his goodness because of their own personal experience, because their life is built on feelings and emotions and not on Jesus. And so that's what I think he's trying to tell us in Luke 6 is there's a deeper way. There's a different way. And, you know, I would just say this is a lot of people are trying to figure this out on their own. I think you need to go back to Luke 6, 16, or excuse me, 12, I think it's 12 uh, through 16, where he calls the 12. He didn't teach these guys Mm one-on-one. And a lot of Christians are trying to figure this out on their own. You know, this is group talk. This is group think. And that's why we are, we're we're constantly telling people, you've got to get in a community group. You've got to be a part of a group. You've got to figure this stuff out together because God speaks through each of us. Not only does he speak through his word, but he's going to speak through each of us as we are reading and learning his word together. And so it, it's just so important to not do this alone um, so that, Absolutely. you know, you, you, you can build your house upon the rock. And so I just think, you know, Luke 6 is amazing. My, you know, one of the most famous verses, the golden rule, Luke six thirty one, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, um, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt, give people grace, be willing to forgive because we all need that in our lives. And uh, I just think Jesus is awesome. And he teaches us how to be awesome people and incredible people. Right. Hey, so for those of you that are listening in this challenge to prepare for the storm, build your house upon the rock, if that's really resonating with you, if you go to our website at sandalsearch.com, we got a really fantastic sermon series from 
about a year and a half ago called the anchor theory with six weeks of really helpful teaching on how to prepare for the storm, how to weather the storm, and then how to even respond after storms like this land in our lives. So I'd encourage you to go to sandalsworks.com, uh, head over to the sermon section and uh, look for those uh, teachings on the anchor theory. Uh, well, man, this has been really great. I'm super excited about what God's going to do this weekend and what he has for us as we get into uh, Luke chapter seven. Any quick thoughts or prayer requests for those of us yeah, just, get, just to pour, you know, grace is not just something that we need to give to others. We have to give it to ourselves. We need to be recipients of grace. And so as you as you read Luke 6, you're going to feel like a total failure. And I think that's a good thing because it's going to make you realize you can't be a Christian without Jesus. We don't just need him to save us. We need him to sustain us every single day. Uh, these things are impossibilities on our own. You know, human beings can be momentarily kind, but we can't be truly kind. We can't be truly right? Loving in and of ourselves. We need God's love to touch our hearts and change us. And so just be encouraged and know that any honest person, when they read Luke 6, is convicted and <laughs> and they don't live it out all the time. Right. Hey, quick question. Who should we be inviting this weekend uh, to come as you're going to be preaching through Luke 7? Yeah, I would encourage you guys to bring lost friends. We're going to actually end the service with an invitation this week, an opportunity to receive Christ. I'm going to be focusing on the uh, the story of the woman who washes Jesus' feet. We're going to look at that exclusively. There's a lot of great stuff in, in Luke 7, but um, I just think this is an opportunity for people who are far from God uh, to get close with God, to get real with God. And the way we do that is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I think this sinful woman uh, is a great example of what it means uh, to follow Jesus. And so so I just would encourage you guys, invite friends that... Um, you know, are far from God and are at a place in their life where they're willing to consider the truthfulness of Jesus. Awesome. Well, we will definitely uh, be praying for that as we move toward the weekend. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Listen, if you've got a question uh, coming up out of the teachings, or if you've been reading ahead in Luke and you want to get your question here on the debrief, just reach out to your community group leader, uh, let them know, and they will get your question here on the show and we'll get it in front of Pastor Matt's face and he'll get you an answer. Awesome. Well, thanks guys for listening. We're super excited. Episode, was this number two? I'm not sure how, I'm not. Two? I All can't right, count because you guys started with zero. Yeah, exactly, dude. Episode two in the can. Thanks guys for listening. All right, thanks.